Hello and welcome back to the PonderCast. As usual, I'm Perry Siddons and I'm joined by my good dear friend, Drew Petker. How are you? Thanks, Perry. This fine week, Drew. You know, I'm doing okay. People are uh, healthy in my house. That's always a, you know, it's always health. That's always good. (laughs) When people are actually healthy. Yeah, everything else is pretty good, you know? <laughs> Can't complain too much. Things are going going well. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, do you know what my middle name is even? No. Oh, okay. That's good. I just always I always introduce you by your middle name. I just thought I'd wonder. And I uh, tried to get your middle name one time, but you wouldn't. That sounds about right. I think it's like Ron or something. Ronald. Nah, that's close. It's a good guess. This is my Donald. father's name. So No. This is my father's name, but it's not my middle name. No, hmm. that is a good guess. I don't know your grandpa's name, so that's okay. It's not their names anyway. So, hmm, Frederick. Close enough. Let's go with that. So Perry's drinking Pepsi today, and I'm drinking a Coke. So we'll see how, see if we agree <laughs> or disagree on on this topic of this of already, the chapter today. Already some tension here. Tension Here's a big is... one. I have XL. Are you an XL or a Dentine guy? Oh, I think we had five gum last. We just usually <laughs> buy whatever's on, like, a buy whatever's on sale, like, the 25 pack of it. You know, you get a huge pack of it for, like, whatever, eight mm. bucks or something. That's mm. what we usually do. And then it's just, yeah. They started doing this thing now with the XL where they you get two packages in one. So you get 18 pieces. Mm. Yeah. 18. <laughs> yeah. But I always I hear you. I always split mine. You split it. You're that cheap. It's uh, the 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 whole one is too big for me. Wow, interesting. <laughs> I should take two at a time. Okay, hmm. we we were like, anyways, for whatever reason, we bought Tic Tacs the other day. Tic Tacs, oh. like you remember? Those things are good. They're tasty. Minty Not fresh for smokers. I like having them after church. You don't leave your coffee during church. Mm. Well, I don't know if you can have that. Maybe you have your coffee during church and you want to talk to people afterwards. We don't want bad press. So I pop a couple Tic Tacs after the last song. We're to too busy in church to drink coffee. We have to stand and sit down. And I know. There's too many things. We have to shake people's hands. It's just there's too many things going on to have coffee. I know. It's kind of church doesn't have coffee. Crazy. You know what is the liturgical? What what is that saying about the liturgical action when you go into a church with a cup of coffee? <laughs> it means that you're bringing an offering of your attention <laughs> is allowing you to fixate on what is happening rather than being distracted by your mm-hmm. lethargic mm-hmm. tendencies. Ah, uh, yes. So just wait. Uh, you just wait till you have like two or three kids, and you'll be like having six coffees before the service. You just wait. I only have two, and I'm like, I have a cup of coffee at home, and then one at church too. Like I have two within like an hour. Like, <laughs> I only have two kids, so I don't know. People with three or four do. You just wait. You'll be up on the pulpit <laughs> sipping your coffee out of your water bottle to hide it or something. Oh yeah. So you know, I was thinking maybe this is something we should do in the middle of the episode, so we get so we see if people are actually making their way through the middle. But I was thinking we should incentivize uh, getting people's responses to these episodes on uh, You Are What You Love. I'd like to know what people are thinking about what we've been talking about. And uh, I don't know if we have any merch left. I'm not sure if I have any mugs left. But I thought that for every response that we get from people on these episodes related to the book... We'll put your, it has to be in a response related to, the, to these episodes or to the book. Put your name in a draw, and we'll send you a, the book in a few weeks. Mm. Uh, we'll send the book, You Are What You Love. Interesting. And, uh, maybe we'll do that again, but I thought that we should uh, do that. Mm, that's a good because idea. We're talking about it. We're talking about the book. Be good to get into somebody's hand. So uh, <laughs> uh, comment on Facebook when, you know... Uh, to a post that's related to this yeah or on instagram or send us an email <laughs> if you have a good uh something any kind of response if you have a question if you want to 
say you guys are stupid and and uh, this book is stupid and he's being a jerk like drew was arguing before we recorded then you know respond uh it'd be nice to hear what it'd it'd be nice to know what you're thinking about the contents of the book you know uh how you would want to respond interact and uh you can respond uh once to every episode and we'll put your name in a draw hmm. there you go i there like it that great with that no, i was uh throwing drew under the bus there he was just joking well no was i wasn't call- joking he was calling but... me it... <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't joking but that's the reason i said it before we started recording <laughs> so why did you say it drew let's get into the book I guess so. Well, it's not okay. It's not really fair to say it, what, how I actually felt about it. So there's just some things in this chapter I felt like <laughs> hmm, I, I disagreed with, which I, I think is a lot different than attacking the person and his ideas and thoughts. Because I think we're allowed to disagree with people. I think we should disagree with people. I think yes. it, it helps yes. us grow. Absolutely. Which brings me to a point. This is totally off topic. Why do we have such a problem with disagreeing with people? Like it actually drives starting to like I, this week, I heard of like three instances where people disagreed with each other to a point of like anger about like scriptural, biblical things. It's like, why do we? Why do we have to be so hostile? Why can't we be more, more hospitable about things? But anyways, mm. I'll attempt to show lots of charity here to uh, Smith as we go through this. Okay, where do we start with this one? So the, the chapter for you listeners was titled "Guard Your Heart." The liturgy of home was what it was called, and the emphasis was on was well, kind of twofold. If it well, threefold, I guess it was baptism, marriage, and then how that applies to the household in certain aspects. I think he's going to dive into the household a little bit more in the next chapter, um, mm-hmm. as far as like raising kids in that aspect. But he did yeah, emphasize yeah. Uh, households and how do you create a liturgy that is fruitful in the household that doesn't center around us being knowing beings, but rather um, doing an action leading beings. He brings that back into it. So I think appropriate place to start with this chapter, probably on the idea of how he addresses baptism. Like I think it was very count. I don't want to say countercultural. Cause that seems a little too strict, but it was very um, not how most churches would define baptism today. That's something that I kind of found very interesting in this. He he mm. emphasizes baptism as not being an expression of. Um, it's not the primary way for us to show our faith and devotion, which most people think. People think baptism is a of obedience. It's how we show our faith and show our devotion. He argues, no, it's not. It's a sacrament. Sacrament, precisely, because it's the way we show by means of grace that God has. Um initiated and, and sealed us and has brought us into his family it's 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 back to we talked about last week the idea of we're making it about ourselves our worship is us to god when god is in it and rather than and so he kind of emphasizes that point in baptism too it's not us showing god who we what we're doing it's god working in us and that's what we're showing is god's i thought it was very interesting hmm. but anyways I digress on, on that point. I was something I found. Do you have anything on, on baptism or what do you think of the chapter as a whole? Anything like specific that you thought was interesting? Um, well, he talks about the household as the little, as little kingdoms or yeah. almost like little churches, but not, you know, I like that. He's really clear to qualify this little, you know, uh, uh, little churches, but were founded in the church. And also talking about our first family, which is the, the the congregation, the church, like the that local expression of the body of Christ. That is our first family, wherever the body of Christ is, but particularly where we have uh, put our roots in. So uh, I I like that uh, talking thinking about the church is our primary family, where he says that. At baptism, all social uh, status is dropped, essentially, like during the worship service. And I mean, right. even, even, I guess you could say the family is kind of that 
interesting remnant of old creation that is meant to be the almost like that uh arc it's like this i, I think he uses this language maybe uh, I, i'm not sure but this microcosm of the um like we are the, the family is the microcosm of the new creation but it's also it's it's definitely kind of this uh old and new brought together because you know in jesus we're all brothers and sisters but in the old way in the old institution but, but i i don't like calling it that because that's how, that's how god ordained it but in christ he says that whoever does my will is my mother and father and sister and brother uh so there's kind of a reorientation of the family but there's something about mother father and children i mean that's the general understanding of family but that is um kind of a lifeboat <laughs> and uh a mini church like we've already talked about so right. i thought that that was good and um really worth thinking about about the first family because um there's this the current congregation i'm part of i've probably never felt like uh i've never really felt like a congregation has been my family but this one has felt more family like to me and uh and what does it mean to be family like where we know each other and we're known and we're you know you can kind of put your hair down and relax around these people there's no judgment right. like family typically there's no judgment uh mm -hmm. you're you're loved and and you love the people who you're family with so there's something about that mm -hmm. that's really significant and i i uh, i'm not uh i don't know i just wonder uh how do we get that mentality how do I get that mentality, first of all, for, for my, just where I am, wherever I am in a congregation? Like, mm -hmm. I, I really don't want to put my congregation here as the, as the example and like, oh, they, you know, I don't want to like talk from, uh, behind their back or well, anything here. But well, uh, if, if I can interject just, just to say here. that, just yeah. to say that, how do we cultivate that attitude of the, the local church? is our family like how do we go about doing yeah. that and uh well that's yeah. what, that's kind of what i was thinking about because the church is i'll just say this one more thing the church is probably the most real family we have but do we act like it that and that's the because, thing that's the well because yeah. i've been thinking about this a lot recently actually and like i said not your church my church whatever like whose churches aside i think the church universal you know, family, we talk about like personal family. We talk about, you know, this is, like you said, a safe place, you know, a place to express ideas, express how you're feeling, whatever it is, like you know, your thoughts, whatever, whatever you're dealing with or whatever. And it's, it's interesting to think about a church in that capacity. Are you able to expressly think differently about things without being ridiculed? You know, like... And that's kind of like we started this podcast as a, a medium in which we can think differently about things, kind of obscure ideas about some things. Like in our older episodes, about we we tackled some weird ideas and like things that aren't really popular in the church, not really, you know, what the common belief is. And I just think if I, you know, if I went to a Sunday school class, if I, if I talked to people in my church about these ideas or whatever, would I be ostracized because of it or would I be encouraged to keep you know, looking into different things or would I be attacked down as these aren't good things to do. And however wrong I might be in some of my thoughts, it's just that when he, when he was talking about this idea of family and he talks a little bit about um, uh, the privacy of family, um, I know I had challenged you to, to attack this idea of the privacy of the family. It's not as private as it should be. Like, you mean your family, you don't really have that many private things. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but you mean you should be able to express those things. And I just think, as the church universal, how private are we with our 
well, everything, right? How we, how the congregation, how an elders board, how a, you know, a priest or a deacon or, you know, or whoever, I don't know what you have, chancellors, I don't know. I can't keep track of all your titles in the Anglican church, but you know what I'm saying though, right? Like, did you have, you're, you're muted or something. I can't hear you anyway, but, uh, which may be better for me. I can't hear you, but you know what I mean? though. Like a, how much how much privacy do we keep and how much secrecy are we keeping and how beneficial is that it was something that i was kind of i've been thinking about a lot recently just in my own personal life but then he kind of talks about it here the idea of that privacy but what's that doing to the church universal and how is that like family so i thought that was well, kind of an interesting point this i think is related this is something i want to hear your thoughts on this um the other day i looked at because i'm like okay this is what the, this is always the question. How do we get the young people in? <laughs> and it's funny when people say to me, "Oh, you have a good perspective being young." Like, no, I don't, because <laughs> I'm old at heart. <laughs> but anyways, um, maybe I do relate to this more than I think. But I looked up. Okay, what are young people looking for in the church? You mean you they, and me, like our age? Is that yeah. Or like younger? What do, okay. what do young, what, yeah, what do young adults, people under 30, what do people want in church? And the thing that came up, I didn't really dig very deeply, but the thing that came up was authenticity. Hmm. And what does that mean? You know, that, if that, but that does seem to be the key to really being able to embrace each other when we are being our true selves, I suppose. And I think it also said when we, when people, when it, when people see that they are embracing their faith and know that this is, this is authentic. And maybe that goes back to what Smith is saying here, that authenticity is an embodiment of what we believe and belief is more than just a set of doctrines it's actually you know it's about that relationship with god and mm, and that yeah. and that is what propels us and so that is what driving us and so i don't know have you ever heard hmm. those kind of things i i just i'm uh, the reason i looked it up is because my poor beloved anglican church of canada needs to be <laughs> really thinking about these things. <laughs> that's a very, I think that's a very profound thought actually, Perry, that, that you mentioned that the, the authenticity is an aspect of showing what you love um, very clearly and prominently. And that that's the whole point. You are what you love. Are you showing what you love? Are you acting on what you love? So I think, I think you're onto something there. That's very interesting. And also, this is still related. I was listening to uh, a podcast the other day from a, this Roman Catholic bishop, Bishop Robert Barron, and they were they were talking about why do young men go to the like young men are drawn to Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, Andrew Tate. Have you heard of Andrew Tate? Oh, he's horrible. Uh, some of these other guys, but they're drawn yeah. to these guys. Because there's something about the embodiment of, vert, of, of, of a kind of virtue, if, if they are actually virtuous, but I can't think of a better word. But like these people, like Joe, Joe Rogan, Jordan there's Peterson, aspects they're, that they like. they're yeah. real, they're real, and they yeah. have something to say to people. And there's a reason that they're drawn to that. And so the question is that I think to myself, oh, well... Um, how do how do I how yeah how do we then invite how do we make sure we're a, a congregation where young men feel like they can be men and uh, you know that's uh, one of the things they were talking about because they were they were they were actually they were actually looking at a gospel coalition article I think I thought that's kind of funny that these this Roman Catholic bishop was looking at this gospel coalition article but that's good. And they were, and the author was saying that one of the things they started to do was do a Bible study. I mean, we all we all love Bible studies, but where they could actually just 
kind of get into the text. They could do some hard thinking because he's the author says that a lot of men's Bible studies seem to try to replicate women's Bible studies, which is a lot about this is generalizing, but it seems like a lot of women's Bible studies are about feelings and, and, uh, you know, being vulnerable, opening up. And I, I hope I'm not sounding like that's derog. Like I'm not trying to be derogatory about that, but what they were arguing is that, you know, that's not what men are drawn to. And, uh, so I'm just wondering where this discussion about uh, the liturgical action, like the lit- the liturgical actions of being a man, <laughs> how, how can that be part of our Christian community? And that maybe starts, I mean, we're kind of off, I'm kind of off track here from what the chapter's talking about, but this is, what's been on, this is what's yeah, been on no, my mind. Good. That's good. <laughs> Not to use liturgy for everything, but honestly, uh, when it comes to being male and being female, uh, there are differences. I don't really psychological differences, biological differences, of course. Um, Let's not anyways, get too far down this this rabbit anyways, hole. What, the difference was, between male and female. We're going to be describing what is a female just, pretty yeah, soon here. <laughs> stick to this liturgical action. What What's your response yeah. to some of that? Well, <laughs> I don't know, Perry, but you kind of just went off on a tangent. Let's talk about my... Uh, I, I don't know what to say to that because I, I, I agree with some of it. I think you're on to something there. Um. Yeah, I'd would, I would caution to say that uh, how those guys describe female Bible studies that way. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but whatever. Nonetheless, well, we and what they were, that. they were just generalizing. Yeah. Well, I guess they were. Maybe there was this. I don't know. Yeah, let's. Uh, we Can we move, move on, on to weddings? Yes. Okay, so this chapter he addresses the wedding, and he like kind of just tears on the idea of weddings in the modern world as they as we know them you know the like Amer- the wedding in- industry the wedding man he tears a rip out of them like he just kind of craps on it all and just <laughs> says it's it's all garbage <laughs> which i was, thought was a little harsh i think it was well, a little too harsh and he, be, he was he was can you be a little more clear uh, yeah, he yeah, doesn't yeah. trash weddings. He trashes the wedding industry and the liturgical action of wedding the wedding industry. Uh, I would argue he tracks weddings and how we've come to know them and how we express in them. Um, no, for he instance, doesn't trash he, weddings. Okay, let me, can I quote him? Can I quote him? Can I quote him? Yes, I quote him. Okay, so he talks about the, the traditional Please. wedding. He talks about a traditional wedding and how it should be in a church. And he kind of says it's very simplistic, you know. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Whatever. He says. And then he goes on to say, there's no fixation on novelties such as idiosyncratic writings of their own vows. He says that in this chapter. He calls okay. writing your own vows. And he says nope. there's none of that in none. this other this other better liturgical no I no guess. no no that, what he's, he's not making any kind of judgment he's or saying this is the better way he's talking about that's the eastern orthodox way of marriage of doing a wedding ceremony when he says orthodox it's with a capital o and he means eastern orthodox in that no but he's talking about the western world in that specific. Okay, I'm trying to find it because I know what you're talking about. That's a very specific, but okay. So I'll keep talking while you talk about that. Um, in addition to that, he also kind of attacks the idea. It's like you can, you're. It almost comes across as like if you are very excited and if you want to share this news with people, that's bad. That that's how it comes across when I was reading it. I don't think that's actually what he meant, but he kind of just like attacks this idea, you know, of, you know, people want to put their video online and people want to put their, you know, their, 
their engagement online and countdowns online. They want to show people their wedding dress and pictures of their wedding party and all this stuff. And he's like, that's all not like it comes, this may not always articulate, but it, it comes across very much as like, that is all garbage. That is not good to do. This is what we need to do. And I don't know if it's that cut and dry. And I don't know if that's well, actually what he's saying. He's, why do you think he's saying it's garbage? Well, he's saying it's garbage because folk is not focusing on, on the union and God in the union. Like he's not focusing on the wedding. It's not focused on the actual day. It's not focused on he's... your commitment before God. Mm. I'm just saying that is part of the, let's call it secular liturgy that he's describing is all yes. that stuff. Yes, 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 yes. It's not part of a biblical liturgy. Let's, let's call it that. Cause I don't know what else to call it. So anyways, my point is, is I don't think all that other stuff is just like, I don't think it's bad. Like it, it might not be part of uh, the liturgy that um, is edifying. Well, no, it could be edifying. That's not true either. So I, I don't know. I just think he's a little too harsh on modern view of weddings. So I think you still have a uh, a good God honoring wedding with a God honoring marriage, and have a wedding that you know you do anything. You know you. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It I'm, I'm sure he's he would harsh. agree with you, but he's just, I think he's probably trying to compare, you know, like you say, he's trying to compare the liturgical, like he's being know, very like four general. pages, man. The guy went on, the guy went on a rampage, man. He attacked every part of like, like everything. He went kind of nuts on it. I was like, Hey, I get the point. You hate weddings. That's how I felt afterwards. <laughs> you hate Facebook. You hate weddings. You hate Twitter. Hate anything except for the I do's. That's what, and I know that's not what he would actually think. Like if I had him on this podcast, I would ask him, like, are you okay with these things or not? But we don't have him on right now. So that'd be an interesting aspect to ask him. Like, you know, I don't know if he has any kids or anything, but like, you know, if your daughter was getting married, would you try to refrain her from doing these things? Like, I, I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. that'd be like those are the kind of things that I'm interested to see his mindset and his ideas behind. You know, and like I don't, I want to be very charitable to him because I, I don't know. You know, you're reading a man's writings, and it's you know, I mean, it's hard to see attitudes and how people write. You, know, you can't always see exactly what they're thinking or feeling in that moment. So I don't want to be too hard on him. It just came across very like attacking weddings because he would describe the liturgical wedding as very simplistic. Would you not agree? Um, well, different in, in, in comparison to the modern weddings that we have today. Well, what, based on the, what he's been arguing in this book is that the liturgies that we participate in show, show where our heart is directed. Right. But that's so, the, so what he's saying. So what he's saying about the, having this, your heart directed to what someone he's saying else about this bad. cultural liturgy is that marriage is all about the uh it's it's um it's all about this is going to sound funny because well i'm sure you'll know why it sounds funny but what he's criticizing i think is that this idea that marriage is only about these two people it's all about the culmination of what's been dreamed of and studied on pinterest and uh and not about the fact that marriage is a microcosm of of uh, uh, Christ and the church right so, but you can have both so yes of course and you should have both like, he's, but, but he's but, showing that I think he's just trying to make a point that um, here is here's an example of the liturgy of the marriage or the wedding industry uh and uh, so, of course, you can have a God honoring wedding and still do some of these things. Whatever. I think he makes a good point. I think it's just a it's a it's a thought provoking uh, thing to think about. Like it's no, yeah, it's it is. it's That's... in a cult. Like we're in this culture where you get to decide everything for yourself, whereas say with uh you know like he has the example of the eastern orthodox 
wedding where he says the the bride and the groom essentially say I have in uh so the the priest says to the groom have you nicholas a good free and unconstrained will and a firm intention to take unto yourself to wife this woman elizabeth whom you see before you and to the bride have you elizabeth a good free and unconstrained will and a firm intention to take unto yourself to husband this man nicholas whom you see before you each in turn replies i have and these are the only words they will speak in the ceremony this won't be an expressive opportunity for them to show their love there's no fixation and novelty in the idiosyncratic writing of their own vows the actor and agent here is the Lord, the church's bridegroom, and their lives as husband and wife, and his mother and father-to-be, and are here taken, being taken up into that life. The triune God is the center of the ceremony, exhibiting a vision of marriage in which this is also true. This is beautifully signaled in vows that echo their baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So... We could just say... It's not don't, bad. You don't, ha you don't have to agree with him. Yeah, uh, I think what you're saying is fine, because obviously there's Christian freedom, but um, also that, like, I really, I do agree with him, though, that our personal flavor doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a part of the wedding ceremony, even though it's about us, it's not because it's about being it's about the being it this marriage is being enveloped into the life of god too so that the this liturgical action has to represent or has to show that this life this marriage is an icon yeah. of the of the divine life but let's be real weddings aren't so. for the people getting married anyway they're for everyone else so what difference does it make well, from a Christian perspective, aren't they a worship service? Well, yeah, but you don't. You two can do that whenever you want. You can just like I, I don't know, the the ceremony of a wedding. I think is in my and debatably is the part that's the worship service, in my opinion. Yes. Everything else after that can be. Most times probably is. It's just a celebration, just having a good time, which also isn't a bad thing. You know, if you have a dance after your wedding. No, I don't think that's he's a saying good that. thing. So, no, no, no. I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying, like, there's the wedding in how we look at it is very. Um, I think he would look at the wedding very minor part of a wedding day. You know, wedding days, you takes all day and you. You know, and you, you have the ceremony, you have a reception, and you whatever you do afterwards, right? And it's kind of a it's a big ordeal. I think he just wants to sum it up in, you know, they say two words, that's it. I don't even know if they kiss in the in his thing. I don't think they do, right? They just say the words and then they're married and get out. No, they're not thing. married because there's more to it. No, well, there's a little bit more, but they those are only two words they say, right? Yeah, they say. I have or whatever, and then, then uh, I can't remember what else. Then it talks that, about that's it. after. So there's two movements, and after yeah, the first the movement, there's the service of crowning, where the couple's own story is embedded within the sweeping story of salvation history of God's yeah. faithfulness to His bride, the people of God. This sounds awesome. The purge during this moment, movement of the service celebrate biblical exemplars, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, including those who struggle with hope and barrenness. The bride and groom are being narratively surrounded with a cloud of witnesses to what faithful families look like. Families that not, surprisingly, look a lot different than the families on Bridezilla's. This stage culminates in the couple's crowning, in which they are literally crowned as servant and maid, and maid of God, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. This illustrates... Yes. Orthodox Sorry. theologian Schmemann puts it that each family is indeed a kingdom, a little church, and therefore a sacrament of and a way to the kingdom. Their marriage is a mission. Together they will bear mission. That's that's the quote that I liked in the last part of it, the, the idea of being crowned. That's a very interesting aspect of marriage that I've never, I mean, I've used, I've heard the term vice regent, that we're vice regents in that aspect of um, carers of the world, but never that marriage crowns you that you are now a kingdom in which 
belongs to a bigger kingdom in which you serve and to honor. So I thought that was a very, uh, I really liked it. And then he goes as far to say, you know, he brings Adam and Eve into it and says, Adam can still turn to Eve who's standing beside him in a unity that they both still proclaim God's kingdom. And just bring that aspect of like, yeah, this isn't just us today. This was, you know, the marriage has always been a way of a kingdom within a kingdom. And no matter what's going on, Kathy, you always have this idea you're coming back to. We are, are we still a kingdom? Yes, we are. We're still a kingdom to God. And that's kind of like a unifying bond to bring you through your marriage, to help you in marriage is that, that aspect of it. So I, I did like that aspect of it. I don't know. I uh, I cannot like what he said about modern weddings, but still like what he said about Eastern Orthodox weddings, right? There's Eastern Orthodox, right? Am I, am I yep. right on that? Yep. Am I allowed to do that? Like Sounds one, like but not like the other? Of course. Yeah, but you agree with everything this guy. This guy might as well be Anglican. Like he says he's not, but he's pretty much Anglican. He's like nine, nine tenths of the way there. He's just not in the Anglican church. But he's pretty much Anglican. Anyways, did you read on later where he says we should be in our in our houses? We should be following the the calendar. Did yes. you read the whole chapter? Yes, I did. Oh, that was the part I was like, "Oh, Perry's going to have a heyday on this," you know? Where he's like, "Also, a reason to invite your family into the rhythm of the liturgical calendar of the Christian year." You should do this. And he's like advocating for this. Like, great. Perry's going to go on a rampage on this. Well, no, I actually not because I see people on social media who convert to liturgical traditions and then they just go crazy. And it's like, it feels like they're trying to indoctrinate their children into this whole life that is is actually their obsession like it just seems like an obsession that they're trying to get their kids to be obsessed about so that's that's my yeah. that's like well ooh, i don't want to i didn't want to touch be, on i don't want to be that kind of person but i also agree with what he's saying i don't know how to do it like like how do yeah, you yeah it's a fine line how do you do that i don't know how well, people like okay let's sit down and I don't understand how people, you know, I hear people, oh, we have family devotions every night. Like, yeah, that's probably a lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I may, I'm, I don't want to talk about it too much because the next chapter is called, I think it's called Raising Your Children or something. Or something very specific on how to, like, raise your kids. Teach your children well, it's called. Teach your children well. Right. So I don't want to get on too much. But how he emphasized, I agree, it was a little bit uncomfortable for me in the fact, like, we're going to just force these things upon our kids, almost like, you know, like, and, and make them do these things. But then I thought about it, well, it's not the worst idea either in the aspect, I mean, people, I mean, I bring my kids to church every Sunday. So, you know what I mean? I'm not going to say it's a bad thing to do. You know, we pray before bed every night kind of thing and... I'm not going to be like, oh, that's a bad thing to do. No, but like you said, on the other no, hand, on the other hand, not. it's not necessarily beneficial just to teach them the ways that you think, and you know, and not yeah, explore and that's things where either. this that's where the church calendar is probably a good way of just sharing the story. Rather, well, than, that's his point too, right? He says, his, he's like, let's just let's just teach the kids. So that they can uh, fight for their faith. I, I'm, I can't, I, I'm not getting the language right here, but that's essentially what he means. And he says, but we're not, again, going back to previous premise or his main premise. We're not brains on a stick. We're hearts and people and we live in stories. So there's maybe, maybe uh, just recounting the story and embodying that as, as, as parents, like, what it means to be like God and 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 repenting and all that. Like maybe that's a better way of going about discipling your kids than trying right. to say, let's sit down and look at this yeah. look at the doctrine of justification and let's but, look at what Karl Barth I know nobody I know that I'm just trying to make it's it. It's hard though. There, but, uh, it's hard. Yeah, like, I believe it. 
today, here's an example. Today, our kid was, he was, he was playing with his cup today at dinner. I was like, man, hey, I was like, hey, stop, stop doing that, please. Like, you're going to spill your cup. He's playing, okay, stop doing it. Dad asked you to stop. You need to stop, okay? Did he? Spilled his cup all over the place. It's like, okay, we, I, I told you to stop. You need to stop. And he says, um, what do you say? He said, I'm sorry. I, said, I forgive you. And then, uh, Later on, something says, I can't remember what happened, but he said, it's okay. I said, no matter, we, we need to say, I forgive you. It's more important to say, I forgive you than it's okay, because it's not okay. But then I tried to figure out how to explain, I forgive you to a kid. I was like, how do you explain forgiveness? Like, the only thing I could think of is, it's okay. But you know what I mean? It's not, it's okay. It's, you th- it's almost like trying to think of forgiveness. How do you explain forgiveness to a three-year-old? This aspect of when you're sorry and someone forgives you, what does that mean? You know, does it, is it, it doesn't necessarily mean forget, you know, but it doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, so I'm trying to, anyway, so I was trying to navigate the idea of forgiveness today. It's like, oh my goodness, that and the truth. How do you navigate the idea of what is the truth and, and lies? Anyways, but, tough stuff. So what did you think? I wanted to get your opinion on or your reaction to the, the story he told about his wife talking about a really, sad thing at the table and how she was trying to she was kind of yeah. trying to show that it's okay there's a way of talking about this and it's okay to be hurt and to feel right. empathy about that what did you think right. about that well for our listeners i think she i think the story was like some boy died or something or got stabbed or something like this in, in a park near their house or something like that that was kind of the story right is that right, right? Yeah. something like that and then I think she brought it up at the dinner table as a way to like see everyone's thoughts and emotions at it. And I thought it was rather inappropriate to be honest. Like I thought it was kind of like, I mean, the table is a good place to discuss and, and to, you know, to share fellowship and relationship with. I don't know if I necessarily would have brought that. And they go on to tell us through. It's like, yeah, my one kid just left and cried. And the other kid was trying to comprehend it, but I thought it was a little weird, to be honest. Um, well, it's, she was trying to get them to empathize. I know, but what, his his point in saying at the dinner table is that the dinner table is a place to to have these conversations, and I just don't know if I would. I wouldn't do that. It seems like a very weird. Well, I'm not sure if that. she brought. I'm not sure if she brought it up for the sake of bringing it up, or if it just came up. Oh, and she was. And she was just maybe it just know how to talk about it. Maybe maybe that was it. It, In my in my reading, I envisioned this as like a, hey, did you guys hear what happened at the park today? Like that's that's how I, Mm. like that's how I kind of envisioned. It just seemed very weird, very odd thing to bring up at a dinner table. You know, Mm. it's like it's like my mom would bring up uh, maternity stories at the dinner table. It's like, mom, stop talking. (laughs) Mom was an maternity nurse. Stop. No one wants to hear these stories at the table. It just seemed like a wrong place, wrong time kind of deal. You know what I mean? So mm. I don't know. That was just my opinion on it. Well, but that being I mean, said, his, that being his said, argument here is oh sorry. Well, I was just gonna say that conversation I think is a beneficial and fruitful conversation to have with kids, though. You know, like um God forbid anything tragic happens to someone that our kids know. No, I like you know like grandparents pass away or my grandparents pass away or something like that. No, I will be explaining. I don't know how on earth I'm going to explain it, but the idea of like death and and how you know what that means and all these aspects of like dying and and what happens like uh, it's going to be tough. Like I know it's going to be tough trying to explain this to a kid who has an attention span of nothing, but. Um, so I'm not saying it's a bad conversation to have. I'm just saying it seemed truly odd to bring it up <laughs> at the dinner table. Because that, that was an important aspect of when she brought, when it was brought up in the book anyway. That he mentioned that at the dinner table is kind of a point where you're you're fellowshipping together and you're it's it's a place to have these conversations. I just don't know if I agree with that. Is that fair? You're still muted. I think he makes a good point that uh, um, discipleship is 
like the home is the most important place for discipleship. Hundred percent. Yeah, not the church. Definitely, church. Everyone. Hey, like, like, uh, you know, I'll take my kids to church and the church. No, sorry, you started talking first, and I cut you off. I'll let you continue. Sorry. I mean, uh, we are the 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 family unit, and he even yeah. Anyway, the family unit is that little church. So, but but he's you know we have to be connected to that first family. So, kind of to to go with what you're saying, is that really the home is like the crucible of the formation of children, but the the big church <laughs> uh, really definitely has a role in that too. And it takes a village to raise a child. So what's our responsibility? Right, but... But as a parent, I am not relying on the church to teach my kids. Yes, you are. Solely. You are no, no, solely. No, you know what I mean. My, my, my goal is not to get them in Awana and kids club and Sunday school so they learn the bulk of what the Bible teaches from the church. So I'm off the cuff and I don't have to do anything. Mm. I think that's what he's stressing in this in this chapter as far as family, the, the your mini church, your mini kingdom, whatever needs to be internally brought up and taught. Not that the church is bad or anything, but your kids aren't going to learn anything if they just go to the church and don't hear about, learn about at home, right? That's that's no no good, no good either, I guess. Mm-hmm. But he was he goes as far as to say it has to include singing, doesn't he? I don't know. Yeah, he does. Such Good. worship. Yeah, he says you should have you should have uh, music and poetry and stories and symbols and mm. tangibles mm-hmm. in your worship at home. That was actually a very challenging aspect of this when he talks about the home and what your worship at home should look like. I thought, mm. hmm, what 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 do what are we doing with our kids? It's like just kind of hit home and think, huh? What what more can we do? But even even like times like Easter, like trying to explain the Easter story is tough. Like, like it's not tough, but like it is. It's like these things aren't commonplace and normal, right? They happen once and they happen, but they're that doesn't mean they're not important. I'm not don't get me confused here, but you know, like trying to explain the difference of of you know the crucifixion and the resurrection and what that actually means to, to like a small child was really tough actually to not water it down and dumb it down just to Jesus loves you. And that's it. You know, like th- there's more to this than just Jesus loves you. You know what I mean? Hmm. Sorry, I'm getting off topic here. This is just things that I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, or even the aspect that baby Jesus becomes oh, adult Jesus, you know, you know it's like it's just Mm. the bible doesn't really help you there you know you don't really get much of jesus middle life you just kind of get the beginning and all of a sudden he's an adult anyways we can digress from this conversation we can we should probably um wrap it up here pretty soon it's just that's uh not a worry but that's one of the things that's kind of freaks me out as my kids get older Mm. like how do you how do you navigate the idea of teaching kids complex things that well that i don't even understand you know like i'm um i look forward to the day when it's like how is jesus and god and the spirit still all god you know like questions like like i don't know how (laughs) why is this snake talking dad you know like things like that it's like Good grief. Tough questions. I hope that uh, one day my kids read all the books on my bookshelf and are smarter than me. <laughs> read all the books that you you never read? Yeah, hopefully. Kids, oh. instead of reading this book, this this fun book, we're going to read... Uh, Calvin's Institutes. Yeah, we're going to read like... Uh, this Richard Hayes book on the faith of Christ. It's just the top book go. on my pile. Richard Hayes, did he write that first Chronicles commentary? Or is that first a different Hayes? First Corinthians, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That was close. Um, same you, author though? Yeah, same author. It's this it's this book on uh, 
like a chap it's a book on the chat on a chapter in Galatians that deals with the phrase pistis christu and that whole Risky that's a word. that's a huge t- uh topic is that faith in Christ or the faith of Christ and and uh so that was his PhD dissertation and it's still uh, uh a major work in that field so that's kind of impressive because that's like 40 years old i mean it's a new edition i have that's imp- like how many phd dissertations get republished 40 years later <laughs> Interesting. Anyways, so i found All that right. i found that in a giveaway pile i couldn't believe it it's in really good shape from a library have you read so, it uh, i just got it yeah i just got it three years ago light it's not light reading <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure half the books on your shelf probably aren't late reading. Oh, sure they are. <laughs> Come on now. Okay, let's wrap this up. Thanks for all your listening. Remember, if you give us a comment or, yeah, a comment, nothing else. Likes will get you. Email. Comment, email, email, comment. If you email, though, it's pr- are we going to put it on the podcast? Probably. No names will be listed, but we'll Why say what we, you no, said. No, no, no. If you comment or if you email, we'll put your name in a draw. Yeah, but we wanna, I want to share that people said. Well, then they need to know that. Okay, fine. We won't let's say what you said. Well, It'll be could. secretive. Or anonymous. One of the two. It'll be secretive or anonymous. There we go. Uh, yeah, let, let us know what you think about these ideas, these concepts. I'm really interested to see next week as well, um, talking about uh, how to teach your children. I'm a little mm. scared. Um, just because I'm a little new to the whole parenting thing, so we'll see how that goes, mm. but... Should be interesting. Should be uh, convicting a little bit. But uh, what else? Various viewers who listen to your podcast, those of you who are still listening, the eight of you, we do appreciate you very much. <laughs> it does mean a lot to us. We're going to keep yes. putting these out, even if you don't listen. We pretty do listen. And, uh, yeah, we, we do enjoy doing this and having these conversations. Yeah. Anything else you want to add, Perry? Until next week. Keep pondering.